Why Software is Eating the World by Mark Andreessen This week, Hewlett-Packard where I am on the board announced that it is exploring jettisoning its struggling PC business in favor of investing more heavily in software, where it sees better potential for growth. Meanwhile, Google plans to buy up the cell phone handset maker Motorola Mobility. Both moves surprised the tech world. But both moves are also in line with a trend I've observed, one that makes me optimistic about the future growth of the American and world economies, despite the recent turmoil in the stock market. In short, software is eating the world. More than 10 years after the peak of the 1990s dot-com bubble, a dozen or so new internet companies like Facebook and Twitter are sparking controversy in Silicon Valley, due to their rapidly growing private market valuations, and even the occasional successful IPO. With scars from the heyday of Webvan and Pets.com still fresh in the investor psyche, people are asking, isn't this just a dangerous new bubble? I, along with others, have been arguing the other side of the case. I am co-founder and general partner of venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, which has invested in Facebook, Groupon, Skype, Twitter, Zynga, and Foursquare, among others. I am also personally an investor in LinkedIn. We believe that many of the prominent new internet companies are building real, high-growth, high-margin, highly defensible businesses. Today's stock market actually hates technology, as shown by all-time low price-earnings ratios for major public technology companies. Apple, for example, has a P.E. ratio of around 15.2, about the same as the broader stock market. Despite Apple's immense profitability and dominant market position, Apple in the last couple weeks became the biggest company in America, judged by market capitalization, surpassing ExxonMobil. And, perhaps most telling, you can't have a bubble when people are constantly screaming bubble, but too much of the debate is still around financial valuation, as opposed to the underlying intrinsic value of the best of Silicon Valley's new companies. My own theory is that we are in the middle of a dramatic and broad technological and economic shift in which software companies are poised to take over large swaths of the economy. More and more major businesses and industries are being run on software and delivered as online services, from movies to agriculture to national defense. Many of the winners are Silicon Valley-style entrepreneurial technology companies that are invading and overturning established industry structures. Over the next 10 years, I expect many more industries to be disrupted by software, with new world-beating Silicon Valley companies doing the disruption in more cases than not. Why is this happening now? Six decades into the computer revolution, four decades since the invention of the microprocessor, and two decades into the rise of the modern internet, all of the technology required to transform industries through software finally works and can be widely delivered at global scale. Over 2 billion people now use the broadband internet, up from perhaps 50 million a decade ago, when I was at Netscape, the company I co-founded. In the next 10 years, I expect at least 5 billion people worldwide to own smartphones, giving every individual with such a phone instant access to the full power of the internet, every moment of every day. On the back end, software programming tools and internet-based services make it easy to launch new global software-powered startups in many industries, without the need to invest in new infrastructure and train new employees. In 2000, when my partner Ben Horowitz was CEO of the first cloud computing company, LoudCloud, the cost of a customer running a basic internet application was approximately $150,000 a month. 
Running that same application today in Amazon's cloud costs about $1,500 a month, with lower startup costs and a vastly expanded market for online services. The result is a global economy that, for the first time, will be fully digitally wired. The dream of every cyber visionary of the early 1990s finally delivered, a full generation later, perhaps the single most dramatic example of this phenomenon of software eating a traditional business is the suicide of Borders and corresponding rise of Amazon. In 2001, Borders agreed to hand over its online business to Amazon under the theory that online book sales were non-strategic and unimportant. Oops, today, the world's largest bookseller, Amazon, is a software company. Its core capability is its amazing software engine for selling virtually everything online, no retail stores necessary. On top of that, while Borders was thrashing in the throes of impending bankruptcy, Amazon rearranged its website to promote its Kindle digital books over Fi. I. In software. And many of the leading innovators in financial services are software companies, such as Square, which allows anyone to accept credit card payments with a mobile phone, and PayPal, which generated more than $1 billion in revenue in the second quarter of this year, up 31% over the previous year. Health care and education, in my view, are next up for fundamental software-based transformation. My venture capital firm is backing aggressive startups in both of these gigantic and critical industries. We believe both of these industries, which historically have been highly resistant to entrepreneurial change, are primed for tipping by great new software-centric entrepreneurs, even national defense is increasingly software-based. The modern combat soldier is embedded in a web of software that provides intelligence, communications, logistics and weapons guidance. Software-powered drones launch airstrikes without putting human pilots at risk. Intelligence agencies do large-scale data mining with software to uncover and track potential terrorist plots. Companies in every industry need to assume that a software revolution is coming. This includes even industries that are software-based today. Great incumbent software companies like Oracle and Microsoft are increasingly threatened with irrelevance by new software offerings like Salesforce.com and Android, especially in a world where Google owns a major handset maker. In some industries, particularly those with a heavy real-world component such as oil and gas, the software revolution is primarily an opportunity for incumbents. But in many industries, new software ideas will result in the rise of new Silicon Valley-style startups that invade existing industries with impunity. Over the next 10 years, the battles between incumbents and software-powered insurgents will be epic. Joseph Schumpeter, the economist who coined the term creative destruction, would be proud, and while people watching the values of their 401ks bounce up and down the last few weeks might doubt it, this is a profoundly positive story for the American economy, in particular. It's not an accident that many of the biggest recent technology companies, including Google, Amazon, eBay and more, are American companies. Our combination of great research universities, a pro-risk business culture, deep pools of innovation seeking equity capital and reliable business and contract law is unprecedented and unparalleled. D in the world, still, we face several challenges, first of all, every new company today is being built in the face of massive economic headwinds, making the challenge far greater than it was in the relatively benign 90s. The good news about building a company during times like this is that the companies that do succeed are going to be extremely strong and resilient. And when the economy finally stabilizes, look out, the best of the new companies will grow even faster. Secondly, many people in the U.S. and around the world lack the education and skills required to participate in the great new companies coming out of the software revolution. 
This is a tragedy since every company I work with is absolutely starved for talent. Qualified software engineers, managers, marketers and salespeople in Silicon Valley can rack up dozens of high-paying, high-upside job offers any time they want, while national unemployment and underemployment is sky-high. This problem is even worse than it looks because many workers in existing industries will be stranded on the wrong side of software-based disruption and may never be able to work in their fields again. There's no way through this problem other than education, and we have a long way to go. Finally, the new companies need to prove their worth. They need to build strong cultures, delight their customers, establish their own competitive advantages and, yes, justify their rising valuations. No one should expect building a new high-growth, software-powered company in an established industry to be easy. It's brutally difficult, I'm privileged to work with some of the best of the new breed of software companies, and I can tell you they're really good at what they do. If they perform to my and others' expectations, they are going to be highly valuable cornerstone companies in the global economy, eating markets far larger than the technology industry has historically been able to pursue. Instead of constantly questioning their valuations, let's seek to understand how the new generation of technology companies are doing what they do, what the broader consequences are for businesses and the economy and what we can collectively do to expand the number of innovative new software companies created in the U.S. and around the world. That's the big opportunity. I know where I'm putting my money, Mr. Andreessen is co-founder and general partner of the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. He also co-founded Netscape, one of the first browser companies, copyright copyright 2019 Dow Jones and AMP, Company, Inc. All rights reserved. 87,990 CBE 856818D5 EDAC 44C7B1CDEB8 This week, Hewlett Packard where I am on the board announced that it is exploring jettisoning its struggling PC business in favor of investing more heavily in software, where it sees better potential for growth. 